Hey, Rockheads. It's that time of year again to come up with a good excuse to join me and Richard at NDC London. Fortunately, all you have to do is tell your boss the truth. You want to learn about the latest technology and hobnob with the likes of Scott Hanselman, Lily Dart, Eric Meyer, Scott Allen, John Skeet, Jesse Sternschuss, Troy Hunt, Damian Edwards, and many more. NDC London 2016 is a full week event with pre-conference workshops on January 11th and 12th and the actual conference on January 13th through the 15th. You got just a few more days to save up to 300 pounds if you register by November 1st. So go to ndc-london.com right now and we'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1210 with guest Diego E.S. Drubny. Recorded Wednesday, October 7th, 2015. Hey, 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 it's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Cavill. We're here again. Uh, uh, Diego Yastrubny is here from Israel, and we're going to be talking to him about localization and internationalization in a minute. But, uh, man, we did a, we recorded that other show last night. That other show for the first time in a couple of years. Yeah, that other show with Mark Miller and Karen Mangicotti, if you know what we're talking about. <laughs> it's a not-safe-for-work show. Not-safe-for-work. No. Not safe for humans. Not safe for humans. That's, That's what it. we should call it. Yeah, NSFH. But uh, we had a lot of fun, didn't we? Yes. Yeah, it was uh, nothing more fun than laughing with your friends. And we just got the uh, final word that we are going to be going on a world tour with the Azure team. And uh, the Azure tour is going all over the place. We're only doing five of the events, but we're, we'll be in Stockholm. Yeah, November 18th in Stockholm. Yep. Uh, December 2nd in Tel Aviv, yep. December uh, 7th in Paris. Paris, and then we're over in Frankfurt for February 26th, and yep. Budapest for March 1st. Budapest. I can't wait to go there. Yeah. It's going to be fun. We have a lot of fans over there. And uh, yeah, the, the Twitters are alight with the conversation about uh, coming out that way. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to it. Very it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to record a show in every one of those five places, right? At least one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. You know, we put out three a week, so yeah. we're going to be making shows all the time. But uh, yeah, you we'll do one in front of an audience for yep. sure. All right. Well, let's get started today with Better Know a Framework. Awesome. <laughs> all right, buddy. What do you got? Well, this is something that I come back to every once in a while just because it's one of those key pieces of technology that everybody needs to know. And I, I have one of the guys working uh, for AppV Next was beating his head against the wall until he found this. And I'm, of course, talking about the SQL database migration wizard. Oh. And this is the wizard that takes your data from your, your SQL server up to Azure SQL. Mm -hmm. And you can find this online at sqlazuremw.codeplex.com. And um, it's worked on every one of our databases. It's, uh, it's just a, a wonderful wizard of a tool. Well, and right up to date too, right? They're yep. running for SQL 2014. That's that's good news. Yep, it was just updated in June of uh, 2015. I always worry when I find stuff still on Codeplex, right? Yep. So that's yep. sort of like GitHub's supposed to be the place, but you know, you check the the dates on stuff right away, and you're like, oh, there it goes. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's there, totally current, and it's current, and download it and use it. Yeah, it's good. That's awesome, dude. Good find. Yep, know it, learn it, love it. And uh, Richard, who's talking to us today? I grabbed a comment off of show 1,200. Hey, we've done 1,200 of these. Wow. 
<laughs> yeah, that's the one we did with Rob Connery. Where we didn't make a big deal about being uh, doing the twelve hundredth show, right. but it, we did talk to Rob, and you know, Rob was really excited about Elixir. And Mike C had this hilarious comment. He said, "I have to admit, I cringed yeah. when I saw who the guest for this episode yeah. that it was Rob, and is always into something new and interesting, yeah. which is of little use to me as a C sharp developer." Right here's a practical guy who's going, "Oh no, oh, no, we got crazy <laughs> Rob. He's always up to something wacky." Yeah. However, since Rob is always so entertaining to listen to, I decided to play it on my commute, thinking I could switch to something else if I lost interest. <laughs> yeah, you can always do that. <laughs> Not only was Rob entertaining, educational, and engaging, as always, but the idea that learning a language fundamentally changes your programming brain for the better, and specifically that Elixir is one of those languages, mm. has me gnashing my teeth and muttering, but I don't have time for this much new awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that said, I'm putting Elixir on my 2016 self-study calendar. Uh, Rob, yeah. you bastard. Yeah. You've done it again. You've made me excited about yet another new technology and language. On behalf of Rob Connery, we're sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he is, actually. (laughs) Probably not. Uh, Mike, such a great comment. We got us both laughing. Thank you so much. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NETrocks.com or on any of the social medias because we post every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there, we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And now let's turn to our guest, Diego Yastrubny, is a software engineer with more than 10 years of experience in web development and embedded Linux and Android internals. Diego is currently working as a mobile developer, and in his free time, he is an avid StarCraft II player, and yes, he is single. (laughs) And, you know, I think as long as you tout that avid StarCraft II addiction you have, you'll stay single. Just Especially on this show, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, StarCraft is an amazing game. It's got a great story behind it. Yeah. But the really competitive plays, mostly South Koreans. There's like TV channels in South Korea dedicated to playing StarCraft. Wow. It's serious business. Well, welcome, Diego. Thank you. So, Diego, uh, the, the topic here is localization and internationalization. This is always one of those topics that developers either embrace at the outset of a project or it's one of those things they really don't look forward to doing after the project has been finished. And uh, I, I suppose you're in the camp of, you know, as you code, put your resources in a place where they can be, uh, you know, changed and updated. I don't know. What's your take on that whole thing? I do it from the day one. Uh, yeah. My phone personally is, is running on Hebrew. I When I start developing some application, I need to test it in Hebrew, which... Is a lot of challenges. Sure. Yeah, you're pretty much talking one of the toughest languages of them all, right? Right to left, and uh, actually, Arabic is a little more complex than. Oh, Hebrew. really? Yeah, we'll we'll speak about it in a, in a few minutes. Okay. So basically, I want to start by talking about about strings. Okay, strings. Strings, the most basic string in in every program language, I think. Yes, strings are good. Yeah, but the, basically a string is, is defined by, let's ignore Pascal strings, because Pascal does not really exist right mm-hmm. now. Okay. So we have a, a string defined by its beginning. And in all those, it was defined by a dollar sign at the end. Right. But 
right now we use an terminator string. So we know the start and the end. And in the middle, each byte represents a character, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you say a null terminated string, but which language are you talking about? C++? Because managed strings are a bit different, aren't they? Oh, so talking to a Linux guy here, so yeah, managed yeah. code, yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the beginning we had ASCII, which right. was one byte per character. Yeah. And life was good. Uh, for you. <laughs> good <Yeah>. answer. <laughs> I mean, take your application and move it to Greece or to Russia. Exactly. Or, or the Orient, I mean, the kanji. So ASCII was not enough. We started doing these hacks about code pages, meaning the upper 120 bytes were different per country. We agreed that the lower 127 were the same, but mm. the upper bytes were different. And at right. some place in history, we decided that we need something more. Yeah. So we invented U- Unicode, Unicode, which means two, b- two bytes or four bytes per character. Two or four? So let's say it's four bytes per word, okay? okay. Then we broke all legacy code because it, it expects one byte per character. Right. So we started using UTF-8, which is a nice trick. It's not really encoding. It's a transport method. Yeah, so well, this is one thing I find a lot of developers, especially in our world, the world of managed code, are, are know that they have to use UTF-8 encoding for things, but not really sure why. Because Microsoft uses UTF-16. Okay. So things got broken really bad. Basically, UTF-16 is a bad idea because you don't have notion about which is the first character. Are we talking little Indian or big Indian? Right. UTF-8 solves everything. You you know exactly. You need to write read a byte. The most significant bit is is on. You read another byte. So let me do some clarification here, and I'm reading from Wikipedia. UTF-16 is 16-bit Unicode transformation format. So that's capable of encoding all 1 million, 1.1 million possible characters in Unicode. The encoding is variable length as code points are encoded with one or two 16-bit code units. So the problem with that is that, what, it's 16-bit? No, let's think about it. You have a legacy application where it's a byte. Right. And your application is reading two Two bytes. It's writing two bytes. Right. So it just doesn't work. So let's assume that from this point on, everything must be UTF-8 encoded when you send it through the network or saved into a file. And you said UTF-8 is a nice trick, but it's uh, uh, also a character encoding um, that uses Unicode, but it's and it's variable length and uses 8-bit code units. How does it get, because it's backward compatible with ASCII, but how does it get values that are greater than, you know, what, uh, ask, what one byte can hold? So uh, the, the trick is, is quite simple. If the most significant bit is zero... Then you you basically expand the byte to four bytes. Oh. If the upper bit is one, then you start reading more bytes. That's brilliant. I didn't know that. That's really cool. The UTF-8 Wikipedia page is, is a nice example. I strongly recommend it. Okay, great. So UTF-8 is basically compatible to Latin 1 or ASCII. Mm-hmm. 
let's assume that the problem of transferring network strength is solved. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, the next problem is, if you guessed it, uh, BD, bidirectional. Right. What does it mean? Let's, let's write a simple routine to display strength on, on, a, on a screen. You start by the, from the left point, and each time you, you, get, you get a new character, you advance by 8 pixels. Right. Okay. You're just drawing the letters on the screen left to right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happens with Hebrew? Uh, you need to wrong. start from it's, the right. Yeah, it's backwards. Right. Uh, not backwards. It's from right to left. Yeah. What happens when you start mixing Hebrew and, and letters, for example? Letters, mm. uh, I mean numbers, digits. Your head explodes. Uh, basically, yes, because the castle starts. <laughs> Starts moving from left to right again, not from right to left. So in even in Hebrew, the numbers will be displayed left to right. So one hundred is still one zero zero, but it's written right to left. So you've got the words going right to left with the left to right number in the middle of it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, right, my head did explode. I thought that's what that okay, noise okay. was. Yikes! No, no, it's even worse because <laughs> it's what you're talking is is called visual display event. Right. Okay. If you do what you just told me and you start reading it in English, you will get the number reversed. Right, right, right. The part which reverses the string is done on runtime, not on saving. So I have a dumb question because I've never looked at Hebrew Windows, but does is there different technology in Windows, the Hebrew language pack or whatever the module is or the version of it that um, displays text? From right to left, or does it somehow figure out like if you're is it is it a word wrap problem? you know word wrap goes right to left, but you can still display uh you know a chunk of text let's start from the beginning. everything okay. Windows has it globally right now back in the Windows two thousand time, you had to ex- install a second pack or something like this to to get r t l support or bidirectional support it was an add on yeah. Uh, right now, it's done on runtime on every on every system. You don't have to install nothing. Also, the fonts are available, which is something I'm completely ignoring in this talk. Yeah. And word dropping is another problem, but again, let's ignore it. Okay. Let Let's assume that you you got the idea that text is written from right right to left, but the right mode character is still the first one on your string. Okay. Okay. Otherwise you get the wrapping problems. No, it, it totally makes sense. The string is still written in the order the string is. But how it's displayed is a secondary issue. Yeah. Back in the old days, we called it Visual Hebrew versus Logical Hebrew. Ah, uh, okay. Right. So you got it. No problem. Oh, yeah, this is really easy. So as a, as a software developer, do you, you want everything to go left to right as you know numerically place zero is the first letter on the right place one is the second to the rightmost letter etc yeah yeah because that makes it easy for you as a developer uh, yeah but sometimes it doesn't work because some apis start thinking about give me the three letters from the left to the second character mm. 
from the Delta character. And yeah, it works in English, but it it works in it doesn't work in Hebrew or Arabic. Actually, it does, but it's a bug in the API name. And there are several flavors of the Hebrew language. There's modern, right? And no, then there's basically, older versions. Yeah, but it's we just we just ignore it. Quite frankly, we speak only only the modern Hebrew. Okay. Arabic, for example, we have another problem on top of right to left. The shape of each character depends on the characters that come after the character. Mm. After or preceding? Are we talking right to left or left to right? Uh, I'm talking logically. So right. the the le- the character to the left of you, the next character. Okay. Some characters can connect to the next one and some don't. Like something like cursive. Mm-hmm. So each letter has several variations on on the font table. The okay. first in the world, the last in the world, connected from the right, the normal letter, and the standalone letter, which is not connected from both sides. Awesome. Hmm. And in runtime, Windows will choose the correct glyph to use. By looking at the, le- the letter that preceded it and deciding which one it should be using. Wow. Yeah. And I'm sure there are breaks in those rules because that's how languages work. They're never completely consistent. Yeah. For example, Lam and Alif are displayed as a single glyph. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The same way we would think of like you could uh, taking combination sounds like TH and SH could easily be turned into a single glyph. I'm thinking of like a double L in Spanish is a letter. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I was thinking thinking about F and L, which current font engines write as a single glyph. Hmm. Right. Twenty two letters in the Hebrew alphabet, or are there more when it comes to uh, what you need to you know? Because it's not just the alphabet, of course. You need how many characters? Twenty six. Yeah. And we have two final letters. Final letters. Yeah. For example, mem is written differently in the middle of the sentence. And at the end. Right. But unlike Arabic, we use the exact glyph. Okay. So what challenges do all these differences present you when you're trying to localize and internationalize? In other words, one code base with just different strings. It depends. If you're talking about a simple application like HTML or, or plain WinForms, you generally don't have any problem. The problem starts when you write a more advanced application which deals directly with text and you are not using the the commonly used controls. Mm. And another problem we you have is what is what is the direction of the paragraph? Right. I mean take the word hello and put three dots at the end. Okay. Where where are the dots? On the right on the word of the word on on the yeah, left. Right. Depends of the direction of the paragraph. And this happens a lot in applications. In, for example, in emails, my email client is generally from right to left. So I many times I see text reversed in in English because it inherits the direction of the paragraph of the the web UI. Okay. People forget that the default direction is left to right, LTR and HTML. Yes, it is. But not for me. No. So 
people always forget to encode the to put the HTML tags inside uh, an LTR paragraph. Wow. So I, I guess, you know what, in a perfect world, wouldn't it just be great if all those strings were just in, in some resource somewhere and then whatever browser or whatever version of Windows would just know what to do with it? You can't. Yeah, it's impossible? Yeah, because you can't guess the direction of the paragraph. Right. If your paragraph starts with a... A, a word in Arabic, does it mean it's an RTL sentence or mm. left to right? Wow. You need to specify it. You can guess it, yeah. Uh, one of the tricks Google does, for example, in Gmail and in Google Talk, I think, it's, it looks at the first strong character of the word, of the paragraph. If it's RTL, Hebrew, Arabic, Indic, some Indic languages are also right from right to left. That seems to me that there should be some sort of meta protocol for this in, in in the strings themselves, or in the resources, or in the container of resources that that indicates these simple switches. On on the Unicode protocol, the definition says an upper level protocol will define the direction of the paragraph. Right. Which means on HTML, a p tag with the correct attribute, or in Word, you must select the direction of the paragraph. Mm-hmm. Many people forget about it, and yeah. I see pages broken. So how much of this does something like the framework just take over for you versus you have to figure this out yourself? Like once I set a, a cultural mode for my application, shouldn't a certain amount of that just be picked up? Well, you're not really a .NET framework developer, are you? No. Right. Uh, so here's the question. Let's assume I have a... Uh, an application written and translated to Arabic mm-hmm. or Hebrew, and then you send me the user agreement, which is not translated. Are you going to put it in RTL mode or in LTR mode? You can't do it. You cannot do it on a per application basis. Right. You need to look at the content. Also, you should really translate everything anyway. I mean, why would you not translate the, that document? Uh, because you don't always have the options. Right. Twitter, let's assume you start writing tweets from other people mm-hmm. in your application. You don't have control about what is displayed on your application. Not always. No. Mm. Yeah, so now you're literally importing other cultural modes into your app, essentially. Yeah, as I said, this must be done per cal- per paragraph, not per form or per application. And I do need to iterate one more time that this is a, a problem on the Linux platform, which is your your platform of choice. No, not always. You have, as I've, I've said, this problem happens on HTML. Right. Sure, but I mean, whatever is serving up that HTML may have uh, localization or internationalization features. You know, ASP.NET comes to mind. Again, Let's assume you write an application and you display it in English and I send you an Hebrew message. What is the direction of my message? <laughs> right. The way I see it is, you know, in the ASP.NET world, you have resources that are uh, different per culture. And depending on which culture your browser is, your version of Windows is, you will get those resources. So you will get your your Hebrew strings right to left, 
and you will get. Okay. And if you're on we, an we English version, we need to do it version, offline. It will not be part of the. Yeah, the I'm podcast, just. But... I'm just not understanding. Okay, see what I sent you over Skype. Okay. Is it left aligned or right aligned? Yeah, that, I have no idea because I don't speak Hebrew and I don't okay. read it. So, but what I'm saying is, if if I mean that's you in a chat window, right? But yeah. if you went to a website that had some localization code that like understood Skype, what my look, collection. Look at what I sent you. I sent you a, f- a few letters and a few dots. Yeah, it should be right to left, not left to right. Right, but there's no software that tells me that that tells me that I'm using a Hebrew version of Skype and therefore it should you don't have switch to, to me. That's the problem. You're not using an Hebrew version of Skype. Yeah, that's You're right. Using that's your I, Skype. That's what I said. It's a bug in Skype. It should detect the direction of what I'm sending you and display it correctly. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I guess it's the question is, should it reflect your cultural mode since you sent it or his cultural mode because it's his machine? And again, not cultural mode, but the content. And I think Skype would prefer to just translate it. Oh, eventually, one day. I've seen the demos. Yeah. I mean, I think you've now piled on all the fear. We're scared. <laughs> <laughs> this is hard. Yeah. What makes it easier? It's done already. You don't need to worry about how the string is displayed on, on, on the screen. It's done for you by HTML or web forms or cockup or whatever. Right. So I just wanted to make it clear so you know the, there is a property called direction. Direction? Yeah. Direction of paragraph. Many people don't understand it. Mm. And where is this in HTML? You have a CSS attribute called direction, which has two values, LTR or RTL. Right. Right to left or left to right. Yeah. And people just don't set, there it is right there. It's it's the direction tag in CSS. Hmm. I did not know this was there. Very cool. Hey, Richard. Hey, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time to translate the last show's joke into a language everyone understands. Left to right or right to left? You ready? Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. It's it's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, do you know Swift, Objective-C, and Java? Can you use them in tools like Xcode and Android Studio? If so, awesome. For everyone else, there's NativeScript a cross-platform framework for building native iOS and Android apps using skills you already have, JavaScript or TypeScript, CSS, and XAML-like XML markup. Start building your dream native mobile apps today. Use the NativeScript CLI for free, or use NativeScript in Visual Studio with a Telerik platform subscription, which enables you to build iOS apps without the glowing Apple. Get started for free at www.telerik.com slash nativescript. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Niles Walter. Congratulations, Niles. Golf clap for you. Or is it Niels Walter? I think it might be Niels Walter. But anyway, Niels. Niels. Congratulations. You just won the Telerik DevCraft Collection. That's a big pile of awesome from Telerik. And while you're there, check out NativeScript. And uh, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, 
answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a technology shopping spree worth $5,000 to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And we'd like to ask our guest, Diego, if you had $5,000 US to spend on technology today, what would you buy? I'm just looking at a Tarus 5 keyboard. Oh, uh, who? What is that? Yamaha keyboard. Oh, a Yamaha keyboard, like for playing, not typing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an epic device. Nice. What's the model number again? Tarus 5. Oh, Tarus 5. Okay. It's spelled T-Y-R-O-S. Yep. On the official site, it says $6,000. More than six. Wow. Well, there goes your money. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> so you play music as well, Diego? Uh, I play a little bass, and uh, I lo- I'm more the keyboard type. So this is an arranger workstation, isn't wow. it? Wow. This looks like beyond just a keyboard into yeah the computer that plays music kind of thing. Wow, it looks cool. Oh, and they have different keyboard sets. There's a 61 key and a 76 key. Hmm. Toys. Toys, toys, toys. <laughs> you musician types. You got your own toys. Honestly. Yeah, I, I just got my Roland the keyboard. Oh, it's, yeah. They're good. But. Yeah, I've had some Roland gear. Not a keyboard, but, you know. MIDI players and things like that over the years. They're great products. I'm a Nord guy myself. I like the Nord keyboards, mostly because they're great for performing. Everything's sort of right, you know, the buttons are right there to uh, switch performance modes. It's cool. Cool, though. Yeah, no, I really like this. I got I saw the picture with the, the keyboard on its stand with the speakers, the subwoofer, and so forth bound on it. It's quite a rig. Yeah. That's nifty. Yep. All right. That's new. That's We've never had that before. I'm, that's cool. So we were talking about the CSS direction tag. And um, JavaScript, I guess let's let's stay in that vein and uh, just talk a little bit more about the challenges. So there's the difference between direction and alignment. Okay. You can't mix this. And the best way to really comprehend the, the difference is open an, a text editor and write a div. Inside the div, type hello and three dots. Copy it four times, and each time do a different variation of alignment and direction. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're going to have uh, left aligned, left to right, right aligned, left to right, right aligned, right to left, and left aligned, right to left. Yeah. Is it going to be different between browsers? Tell me it's not going to be different between browsers. No, no, no. You, we passed this. Okay. That works. <laughs> that will work, and it will tell you what's the difference between direction and alignment. You need to really understand it. Okay. They can be different. You can't assume that every right aligned text is RTL text. For example, imagine a, a chat application. Mm-hmm. On the left, you see what you're sending, and on the right, what the other side is speaking. Right, yeah. We use alignment for other reasons than just localization. Well, don't. It doesn't work. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> no, really. I, in new applications, you, you see this, the person name and the text is always below. Right. So you can align and direct and use this, the correct direction mm-hmm. for everyone in Arabic. Hmm. Otherwise, 
it will be a complete pain. Right, it's a mess. Yeah, my name is, is written in, in Latin letters, but right. I usually speak Hebrew. Right. Mm-hmm. How do you align it to the left or to the right? I don't know. What's the, what's the correct policy for that? Again, you, my name is left aligned, but the content, content of the message is right aligned. Awesome. <laughs> wow. Yeah. My head hurts. Now, if we're working in JavaScript and we're trying to localize an application, I mean, I'll, most of the time those strings are just text in the HTML. Do, you, do we actually need to encapsulate them in JavaScript and to, and to be able to change them out easily? One of the tricks I've seen is doing some PHP preprocessing on it. So okay. the translation gets done on server side. So you select that you determine the language on the server side and pull the appropriate strings, or do you make separate pages? Uh, no, never different pages. Maybe a different, okay, different pages. For example, I'm looking at MSDN, it, it contains an ENUS prefix somewhere. So it's somewhere a different language and a, a, li- a different page. It's a, a nice question. Yeah, in the, in the .NET framework, we have not only languages, but we have cultures. And the culture determines those things like whether the language is right to left and, and, and all that stuff. And then, and that's why you know Word for Windows and Hebrew Windows works differently than than uh, the 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 other one. Uh, you know, an English version, even though it's technically the same code base. Yep. Another thing you need to to t- to think about is numbers. For example, what is the decimal separator? Right. Is it a comma or a dot? You have uh, on Android. You have date format. A class on iOS, US, NS date formatter, and on C sharp we have system dot globalization dot culture info. Right. So when you're getting strings that you know they are numbers, you need to know what the other side is sending you. Is it sending you NUS letters, numbers, or is it something localized? For example, in Arabic, you don't, we don't use the same digits as we do on, in English, for example. They have different letters for 0, 1, 2, 3. Hmm. I would think that the numbers are stored with the, with the dot decimal separator internally. It's just how they're displayed that matters. Yeah, that's the problem. You, you, okay, let's, let's think of a good example. Mm-hmm. You have a, a shortcut. And you start adding the values of the, uh, the, the items you're buying. You do the math on plain numbers and you need to display on HTML. Are you displaying them with the Arabic numbers we are using or the Indo Arabic numbers that it's used on Arabic? Think of it as uh, Roman letters, Roman numbers. You do the math on normal numbers and you display them differently. Right. Hmm. Also, the parsing is different sometimes. And, it, and who decides that? Like, is that? That comes down to the individual user. If you're used to reading Arabic, but you prefer the Latin numbers, you could set it that way versus preferring to display the Arabic numbers? I'm not really an expert on Arabic, uh, but I think that it's they use the, the other numbers instead, the Indo-Arabic numbers, not the Arabic numbers we are using. Mm-hmm. 
what happens is that the digit numbers we are using, you and I use, are called Arabic numbers. Right, right. of course, just to make it worse. Like yeah. we're actually, yeah, it's actually the Arabic number system we're using in the first place, although in Arabic, the number system is different. Uh, the display, not the number system. Right, there you're right. The system's the same, the display is different. Yeah. This isn't complicated at all. I don't know why people worry about this. <laughs> Try doing math in, in Roman numbers. That's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, multiplying Roman numbers is no fun at all. Are there other CSS tags we need to know besides direction and alignment? Uh, not that I know of. Okay, so they, I mean those are the main ones, and I didn't know about them either. So I'm, I'm that that's a good point, just to be aware of the fact that that part of this is done that way. And obviously there's a UTF setting, but there's no general like localization settings in HTML. No, you you always use UTF UTF eight. Right. So you just use UTF eight, fewer problems. And then the rest is up to you in CSS. Yeah. There is the language settings. Yeah. It should be part of the heading and not of the, the HTML, not part of the HTML headers, but right. part of the TCP packet or HTTP packet. What, how is it called? <laughs> but there is like the language code setting. The, the, I mean, in Canada, we talk about FR-CA, which is Canadian French. Yeah. Yeah. That's the culture code. Yeah, so there's, there's just culture codes, or the they. I mean, I, there's also the Lang selectors in CSS. Yes, there's a different. There's a difference between the the culture of the, the target and the language it's speaking. Right. As you, if you, as you said, it's French Canadian or French in France. Right. I wonder if uh, if you both use the se the same numeral system. They use the same number system, but somehow they made, managed to make the language different and, and for different reasons in different ways. Because, you know, why wouldn't you have more than one version of French? Uh -huh. <laughs> or Spanish. Yeah. Oh, goodness knows. The Spanish have lots of variations depending on the country. Yeah. I, I'm doing this at work and we need to find the exact word which will not offend this part of the world. Uh, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> What about doc type declarations? Is that kind of obsolete now? That's just, that's all the old HTML4 stuff. HTML5 just says doc type HTML. Don't mess around with it. Yeah. Okay, good. Because I never understood those. It, it will also get you the, the, the new HTML5 features. So use HTML5, use UTF8. Right. Yeah. Stick with UTF8. UTF8 is the answer. Yep. I want, I want to believe Diego. I really do. <laughs> What have you seen something different in? No, no, I just trying to trying to get my head around every. This seems so complicated. I I'm struggling to believe any simple answers on it. No, there's when people are involved, as you said, there was nothing simple. Yep. Yeah. Another example for, of how things are complicated. Let's assume you have arguments on your on your string. You about you about five items. Mm -hmm. What happens when you have two arguments? And in German, for example, the order is reversed. I mean, the first argument in German should be the, the last one. Right. Because English is convoluted. English actually has a kind of a goofy order for those things. Yeah. So instead of using percentage as, you write percentage one or two or three to note the number of the argument. And the translation can use different order. Right. So 
if you're going to localize this capability, you've got to sort of detect, oh, I'm working in German, and change the display order. Yeah, the translator will do it for you, but you need to give him the possibility to do it. The framework right. you're using, the JavaScript uh, framework should be able to do it. Okay. Again, not something you usually think about. No. Well, and it just keep feeling like there's no overall strategy here. It depends on what languages you're working in. I'm just trying to get my head around how much encapsulation I have to do. Not language. Culture. Culture, yes. Yeah. Which... Uh, which uh, date system should be should you display? That's a culture setting, isn't it? Yeah, but still, you need to remember: Are you using the? I try to remember the Dalo systems. I know the Hebrew calendar, the Hebrew calendar. In India, they use several calendars. Hmm. Yeah, they've got some old calendars as well. But even if you just go with the American month-day-year versus the European day-month-year versus the UN standard year-month-day. And you're still on Gregorian date. And you're still on, and all three of those are just with Gregorian dates. Let's not talk about, now you get into the Hebrew dates or the Indian dates or the Chinese dates. Yeah. And then we could do daylight savings time and time zones. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. Time zone is a big problem. It's a disaster. Especially with the time leap. We have a second leap. Here's a, here's a question for you. I mean, what you're describing here is just extremely mind-blowing and boggling. If you were to try to make some sense of this and sort of uh, write some sort of reusable system that would you could rely on when you go to build a new website, where would you start? And do you do that? Do you have such a thing? Uh, you should start looking at... Uh you can't reinvent the wheel. Some someone already did, did it for you. As you saw, localization, especially on on dates, is very different, very difficult. You will will not be able to get it right. Just don't find something already done and use it. Use an existing framework. Okay. So, and what do you the, recommend? Yeah. What are the ones that you go to? Uh, I'm more of a Android guy, so <laughs> I use whatever Android gives me. I also develop on iOS, so again, what Apple gives me. Mm. When I'm on desktops, I use Qt 5, which again, has its own localization things. But it depends on the platform you're going to. Use the native classes, the native APIs. What if we're just talking about a website? I'm not, uh, not really sure what's the best yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few of them, right? Google's got one called uh, JS Localization. Mozilla has one called L20N. Like, there, there are a few of them. Yeah, and Google also will, if you tell it, it can wrap the the text in, in the correct paragraph directions. Mm -hmm. So you, it will save you another problem. But really, do you want to use Google on every site you have? Yeah, well, that, that is a question. Oh, and, it, and I'm just double checking. JS tra uh, translation is now gone into read-only mode, so Google decided to stop working on it. So you have we have not really solution for this problem. No, well, there's L20, uh, and the Mozilla guys. I mean, they're good guys. Like they, they, this is all open source. It's it's uh. It's it's good luck and stuff. I just haven't had to use it. Uh, you know, I know you're the wrong guy to ask, but maybe Richard can tell me. I thought ASP.NET had solved this problem. Well, solved the. I don't know. 
I don't know that that's actually true. I don't feel like anybody solved this problem. This problem just seems hard. There's localization and internationalization in .NET. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about Windows Forms app, and I'm not talking about anything but websites here. But it, it seems to me that the, that whole problem has been solved with not only the version of Windows you're running, the culture code, and the resources that you put together, but based on what language, what culture your browser is using, you would get those resources if your app was properly localized. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> you don't do localization here. Maybe it's time to revisit that uh, on the show. Absolutely. It's, a, it's an ongoing problem, right? And the, and the, well, the, that's for the sure. things just keep moving in terms of how they're going about it, right? But cultures don't generally move. Generally. Generally, yeah. <laughs> Not as fast as technology. Not as fast. But like I'm looking at the Microsoft.net internationalization documentation, and it's from 2005. Yes, which would indicate that the problem was solved in 2005. Or it's being ignored. Yeah, one or the other. Yeah, I, I can't believe that. I'm looking into translating JavaScript. All I get is Canvas Translate and really no good solution for this. Well, that's another interesting thing. When you develop code, uh, and, and again, I'm talking to the wrong guy here, but if you pulled up a version of Visual, if you pull up Visual Studio in, in, in a, you know, let's say Japanese Windows, are you writing C Sharp in C Sharp or is that, are those keywords translated into kanji? For no, example? no, it's, it's uh, English. Yeah. But Windows is doing the wrong thing. And when you have a pop up dialogue, which says, are you sure you want to do this? Yes or no? Yeah. Yes or no, it will be in Japanese. Yep. Yep, yep. Yeah, why? System dialogues are all localized, but the, the code itself has to be. But no, your application is not translated. Right. But the system dialogues are. That's what I tried to say. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I really don't get it. It seems like a bug in Windows. I, I mean, I want control over my application, but Windows is getting in the way, doing, doing the wrong thing for me. Mm. Again, you don't say it because you speak English. And right. You... right. We, we're not able to see this because if we, even if we turn this stuff on, we don't know if it's right or wrong. Sure. Uh, actually, there are tricks. On Android, you have a pseudo language which will use accented numbers and, and letters. So everything that's not accented is, is not translated. You can visually see it. On iOS, you have a similar thing. Uh, I think in Windows, there was once upon a time some pseudo language. I'm, I'm not really sure about it. As you said, I'm not the correct guy here. Right. It'd be interesting to see what um, Microsoft, and we should talk to somebody about this too. It'd be interesting to see what uh, Microsoft has done with universal apps or maybe even WPF apps in terms of localization. And uh, I mean, I know we've had resources in these kinds of apps for a long time, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you, that doesn't mean that uh, as a programmer, there isn't anything extra you need to do in order to publish your application in different languages. Yeah, and resources are really, really hard to use as a as a developer. That, well, that's true, but I mean, it, you know, it's the cost you pay for for being international. Uh, no, not exactly. In Android, you you ass you assign the, a string, and you want to translate it. You just press Alt and Enter, 
and it will automatically automatically use the the engine to translate it. It will generate a resource string and your code will be changed. It can be done. On iOS you don't you use the, the string as the translation index. Hmm. You you wrap your text in a in a in a nice function that eventually gets triggered to the correct resource. Mm-hmm. That in C sharp or no well in C sharp and let's let's call it a WPF app you have or even a Windows Forms app you have resources that uh, essentially you can either put them in a dialog but they go into um, an XML file. And you need to read the text manually, or the framework does it to you. The ID does it for you. No, you read them. You read them through the API. Yeah, that's another step a, a developer will need to do. And that's right. Yeah, we are lazy. We're not going to do this. Yeah, well, you know, if you can figure out Objective C, you're not lazy. <sighs> Actually, I migrated my application to Swift. Okay. <laughs> because you're lazy. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> but it, you know, there's an interesting angle on this from the mobile device perspective because certainly people, you know, you can't talk a more personal computer than someone's smartphone. Sure. They want their language. They want their culture formats. Yeah. Well, uh, my my head is swimming now, and I'm really interested to see uh, the discussion on the website or on the mobile apps for this. This should generate quite a few comments and a few discussions. Yeah, hopefully solutions as well. Hopefully solutions as well, right. But, you know, we have such awesome fans and they're so civil. We, you're not, there won't be flames. I promise. No flames, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Diego, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Transmit a band by the MCC.